Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 41. Today, we are continuing our look at some more spiritual warfare basics. Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. Oh, good to be with you in person this time. This is fun. Yeah, you're not uh, off at Asbury now, so it's good to be here. So we've been enjoying a few days together. It's nice. I know. This may be my last time at home with you until after I have graduated, which is a really weird thought. No, it is. It's very strange. Been back and forth. I, I like to joke that uh, uh, your mom and I have been empty nesters uh, like every three weeks. <laughs> For like we, yes, you, you and Ben both went to school, but not really in. But uh, we like being with yeah, you. Yeah, I know it's cool, but uh, it's kind of we just make it a joke. It's kind of funny. Yes. Well, and Ben is only like an hour away from. He here. is only an hour from here, so he comes home a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. I wish I, especially when I first moved down there, was like. Why have we not invented a teleporter yet? Yeah, like, really. I like being down here. I also like being up near my family. <laughs> oh, but yes. So very happy to be with you. And wow. So this past weekend, we have just had our What Every Family Should Know About Spiritual Warfare Conference. Or rather, we are personally recording prior to the conference. So I say with anticipation rather than assurance, what an epic conference. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We are just confident that it will be epic. But uh, yeah, by the time this comes out, it'll be a thing of the past. So it's recorded. Yeah, it'll be a thing of the past live, but it will still be available in recordings. That's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. And also, happy Holy Week. That's true. We are uh, launching into the uh, end of Lent for those who are in the more liturgical traditions, and uh, getting ready to celebrate Easter. Yay, victory, which um, <laughs> I might skip ahead. But we, I want to talk about Christus Victor later. Um, but first, uh, like last episode, we dug into just a crash course <laughs> of spiritual warfare principles, and but I, I felt like we focused a lot on permission. Um, and so I thought today we could continue the discussion and look more at authority. So I've heard you say that there are two errors Christians will often fall into in regard to authority in Christ, that Christians have no authority or that Christians have all authority. So let's speak to those two things. First, no authority. Why do people say, uh, no, we don't have authority? Yeah, I think that uh, this comes from, in some ways, it's almost like reactionary against uh people like me <laughs> who would say that uh, who practice spiritual warfare and say that Christians you know actually know how, and need to know how to do this for themselves uh, there's a um kind of a group of theologians out there who are like Christ has all the authority and I don't share that with him but so it takes a little explanation all right so it never does there isn't a verse in the bible you can point to that says uh, anything about christians having authority right that's not a specific verse in the bible so we'll have to talk about that on the other extreme i and is are the people who say no we actually have all authority that when i speak christ is speaking like if i say something in the name of jesus if jesus himself may as well be speaking well I, and and literally i remember there was a time uh, several years ago when I got handed two different books uh, by two different people, and one of them was from a theologian making the case Christians have no authority, and one was from a theologian, actually not really a theologian, just a, a well-known, he's just a well-known pastor. They are both just well-known pastors, to be honest. And the uh, the one was very charismatic and um, kind of that word of faith branch of charismatic circle that says, basically, your words 
participate in creating reality. And I, I'm like, we don't go there. So as I look at this, I think there's errors on both sides, and we can explain why here. Awesome. So I know particularly the the no authority crowd often point straight to like Michael and Satan wrestling for Moses's body and Jude and and Michael having, you know, I the Lord rebuke you. And so see, you know, if Michael can't, then Yeah, no, that so. is the uh classic verse. Uh good job remembering that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the uh it is an unusual verse, right? It's like, well, why are Michael and Lucifer fighting over the uh the body of Moses in the first place? And then secondly, if Michael Right, the archangel over the people of Israel can't just say, you know, you have to go in the name of Jesus. Why can we? So both, uh, I'll try to answer both those since we're awesome. right here. Okay, so let's start with the uh, the authority question, um, which in some ways is the easier one uh, because we are children of God in Christ, and it said, and the basis of our authority in Christ is that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So to be seated is to be enthroned, right? It's it's like we share access to the throne. Well, throne is authority, right? There's some level of authority there. So what I like to specify about authority is that we don't have unlimited authority, right? In the same way that a police officer doesn't have unlimited authority. A police officer can't just tell you whatever they want, right? Uh, well, sorry, at least sir, they, I don't like the color of your shirt. I'm going to give you a ticket Yeah, now. exactly. They yeah. don't have that right. They can try, and I'm sure, and they have tried throughout the years. I mean, there's been bad police officers throughout the years, but their authority is limited by law. And so in the same way, we don't have unlimited authority. We have limited authority that is limited by the laws of the governing the kingdom of God. But the basis of our authority is that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So when I, I look at the people who say that we don't have any authority at all, um, there and, and we look at uh, this debate between Lucifer and Michael, um, what I would say is that we actually outrank Michael on the flow chart of the kingdom, if you will. <laughs> It's not that I have authority over Michael, right? I can't, I don't order him around. I've heard some people do stuff like that, like they order angels around, but I think that's a misuse of authority. But as a someone who is seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, because I, humans, we have a unique relationship to Jesus that is different than even the angels. And the author of Hebrews you know, refers to angels as ministering spirits sent to serve. And so in this, in this sense, I think that Michael and Lucifer were more like peers, and so he couldn't just take authority over him, whereas I don't speak to demons as peers. I speak to them, I speak down to them as those who are beneath me on the flow chart, if you will, of the authority structure of the kingdom of God. Now I just have Carl Payne's voice in my head right now. <laughs> if you didn't come to the conference, go get the recordings and listen to Carl Payne. He will teach you how to talk down to demons. No, he's very good at it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Carl and I have uh, taught together on many occasions, and uh, he's uh, he's very blunt with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so give us your theory for, uh, my theory for on, uh, why they are wrestling over the body of Moses. So, you know, my theory on this is uh, there is something in the Old Testament called Nehushtan, and I'm sure everybody uh, uses Nehushtan in a sentence every week, yeah, but, right. you know, Nehushtan is, uh, uh, was the Hebrew word for the um, bronze serpent when... Uh, Jesus references it, says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and people, uh, in the original story, there were snakes coming in and biting people, making and they were dying, and God told Moses, make this bronze serpent. When people look at it, they'll live. They'll be saved, really. They'll um, uh, be saved from these snake bites. So, we learn later 
in uh, the time of the kings that this bronze pole became an idol and that a cult had started up around the idol and people were worshiping it. And you can understand why, right? Because they thought, oh, this must have magical powers to heal. And so we all want healing. So let's do that. Um, Well, I thought if they made a cult out of the bronze serpent, imagine what they would have done if they would have had Moses's tomb. I'm just thinking, you know, that would have become a place of pilgrimage that uh, unlike anything we've well, ever and, seen. And go back because because I don't we didn't mention like the tomb part. We just mentioned the body. So Yeah, it was all part of the body here is like if if Lucifer got the body, uh he could I don't know what all the rest of the implications there are, but I do think that he would have been able to point people to it. And well, because because when Moses died, no one knew where he was buried. That's true, and so that's I guess that's the point I was I okay. was going toward was just that some people might not remember or realize that like yeah they they yeah, did not we, know where his body was because that's a good point he yeah. went on a walk with God and didn't come back yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow that sounded very mafia like but no one think what but I do think that what uh, yeah you're right he went God said you know this is it and. It was time to go, and, and he did not let people know where Moses' body was buried. And I think part of the reason for that was they wanted to avoid the whole cult thing that would follow out of that. So that's my theory. I can't prove it. It's just kind of my working hypothesis on why this happened. It makes the most sense to me of anything I've ever heard. So, okay, so so then can we go back to the all-authority um, advocates and why people yeah. think that? So the all-authority, again, comes from this idea that Jesus says things like, ask for anything in my name and, you know, I will do it. And it's a fairly short step from a statement like that to, well, if I say anything in the name of Jesus, then I can speak with the same authority as Jesus. But anybody who's been in authority structures knows that's not the case. Like, I can represent the king and speak with authority on behalf of the king. It does not mean that I share the king's level of authority. Right. And so I think that that's just a gross misunderstanding. Uh, that um, in some ways is understandable because if you don't look at it too closely, mm-hmm. <laughs> but once you do, it's really hard to land there. So, and I, I, I don't have anyone in mind particularly of of when, no, I when can you name t- names. I, I know, I know. I'm to. just okay. saying. <laughs> I, I'm about to ask maybe a controversial question that, sure. and I don't have anyone in particular in my head when I'm asking this. But it struck me when you when you said earlier that like, oh, you can just speak reality in, into existence. That's very occultic. That's a that's a very like witchcraft sort of mindset, right? Um, and so I'm just wondering. I mean, I guess that's just an observation. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to say off of that, but well, it's one of the reasons why you know Deeper Walk has always rejected that worldview because it smacks more of the occult than Christianity. And this, uh, the idea is that God can speak things into existence, um, but I can't. I I can't speak things into existence just because I say them. Now, that's different than saying my self-talk's not important, or mm-hmm. it's not not the same thing as saying it doesn't matter whether I'm constantly berating myself or berating other people. That's bad for completely different reasons that have nothing to do with creating reality. There's a classic book by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich, and it's been read by, you know, success people, you know, teachers throughout uh, decades. And uh, But a lot of people, I don't think, read the end of the book. Because he's basically having seances in his attic where he gets the information for this stuff. And part of and part of his theory is visualize what you want, believe it's going to happen, speak it out, right? And so there's this new age concept, right, that if you believe it, in, you can believe things into existence, which sounds a lot like, 
you know, when the scriptures are talking about your faith has healed you. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think what happens is that people, too many people are taking that step from the occult side of creating real- the reality that I want, because that's really what the occult is about. It is, I know the reality that I want, and I'm going to use this power to get what I want. That's not how Christianity works. I want God's will to be done. I submit myself. I surrender my will to him. I don't use God to get what I want. And that's why a lot of people misunderstand prayer, because they think that, oh, prayer doesn't work because I don't get what I want. That's not how Christianity works, right? That's not what it's for. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm going to kind of pause this here, even though it's a little off topic, because I think it's really important. I just... I run into this all the time on social media and even in conversation with, um, you know, especially my age demographic, uh, where people do have the self-talk that borders into or just straight up claims manifesting reality. Um, and so, and, and I do think self-talk is important. And there is a, there is this idea of self-fulfilling prophecy where if you say this is going to happen, a lot of times it happens because you just put yourself on that path to make it happen or not happen or whatever, whether that's positive or negative. And so part of the deception there is that there is some truth in it. Could you, could you speak more to how to differentiate between like, what, what's the difference between some positive self-talk and some making plans and, you know, but then also, uh, you know. Yeah, the, sure. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a good question because what I think the difference here is that one is psychological and emotional and the other is spiritual. And what I mean the the difference here is one thing is counting on it creating reality with spiritual force. Like if I believe the right things, if I say the right things, I can make this happen. Uh, versus simply the lack of wisdom or the folly, shall we say, of constantly putting yourself down or seeing things that are are not true. For example, I mean, I was an athlete for a lot of years. So I can't say, we're going to win this week. We're going to win this week. We're going to win this week and make it make us win. Now, I can picture myself shooting correctly in my head versus, you know, being sloppy in my thinking, and it's going to make a difference. I can go into a game thinking that we've got no chance, um, and that's going to have an effect on my performance, but it's a strictly at an emotional, psychological level. I'm not, I'm not creating that reality with any kind of spiritual force. So there's a difference between something being wise or foolish and something being uh, powerful. Thank you. That's good. All right. I, I could ask more questions on that topic, but that would be a different episode. So um, shall we move on to Christus Victor and maybe some – I know I, I want to look at the the connection between authority and victory and all of that. And it's Holy Week, so um, like the crucifixion and the resurrection and such. Absolutely. So Christus Victor is the uh, view of the atonement that was most popular back in the uh, by the early church fathers, folks like Irenaeus and others. Um, tended to present what happened at the cross in terms of this cosmic battle between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God, and that at the cross, the devil thought he won, only to find out he actually got completely disarmed. So you have this classic text, Colossians 2.15, which says that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers at the cross. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, the verse before that points us to the fact that prior to the cross, Satan had a claim on us. There was a certificate of debt, it's called, in the in the uh, in two, Colossians 2.14. And this idea is that as long as that certificate of debt existed, Satan could go to the courtroom of heaven and have a claim on us. And 
God had to grant sort of his request. But at the cross, what we're told, Paul says in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, is he erased that. In uh, in John, when, talk, when he uh, one of his last words on the cross is tetelestai, which is that Greek word that means it is finished. And that is actually the word they used to stamp on these certificates of debt to cancel them, to erase them, if you will, to bring them to an end. And so what happens is like if you owe somebody a debt and he gets paid, I don't owe a debt anymore. And so in that way, he has disarmed the enemy against us. Um, there is also this what we talk in kingdom terms of an already not yet theology of the kingdom, which says that Christ defeated Satan totally in regard to that debt that we owed and removing the claim against us. But his final victory over Satan is a not yet thing that is waiting to happen. So in the meantime, though, uh, because we have been seated with Christ through the resurrection— and because we have had the claim, saints' claims against us taken away by the cross, we are in a position to live in freedom as Christians that did not exist before the cross. And that's why when we talk about the cross, we tend to talk in about two things primarily. And one is about Christ's victory over the enemy at the cross, and also about the cancellation of our debt against us at the cross. As you were talking, I just kept seeing Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan and being like, wow. I mean, obviously we know what that analogy is, but I, you know, with, with you know, on the altar, or on the altar. The stone yeah, table. Stone table. Yeah. yeah. Like an altar. And um, but I've never I've never actually like thought of that in and had the thought Christus Victor in my head. Yeah, well, and, and this is part of the genius of C.S. Lewis in writing the Chronicles. In uh, fact, when we did our 2012 yes, national conference. Oh, that was so epic. Yeah, we uh we I brought love down you so all much for that. <laughs> we brought down all the house lights. We opened uh with this that scene, that exact scene of Susan and Lucy you know, mourning at the stone table because Aslan was just killed the night before by the white witch who is represents the devil. Aslan represents Christ. And here is this, this battle of, of cosmic, you know, warfare. And it looks like, right, Satan or the witch has won. But the stone table cracks. And in the cracking of the stone table is just genius to me. It's so, so significant because it illustrates this idea that the charges against us have been broken. The foundation for the charges against us have been broken. We've been set free from the law, Romans 7 says. We've been set free, therefore, from sin, uh, both Romans 6 and 7. And we have been set free from all of these things because what Christ did on the cross. And so that's the foundation of our, our victory, the foundation of our freedom, and also the foundation that gradually leads to the idea of our authority because of his victory, and also because the the penalty was paid, and it is complete. Well, and just to to complete that yeah. story, so you commissioned a an actual cracked table. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, for, for the stage. From I was I was still an undergrad at Taylor at the time, and had connections at the theater, and we we got a table like a, a full size table that I think they actually uh, a, a high school used in a production of Chronicles of Narnia as their set piece. Yes, it and was. so that so as the lights were coming down, you know, like that was up there, and it was so epic as a symbol. Yeah. No, it was pretty cool. Yeah, we had that broken stone table up on the stage for the whole conference. To me, that was just the clearest picture of grace I could think of to lay out for people to keep it in front of their mm -hmm. yeah, for the conference. Grace. It was grace. <laughs> John yes. Lynch was at that conference. He was <laughs> for that reason. He's very yes. good on talking about grace. <laughs>
Oh, okay. Now I'm all wrapped up in memory and I'm losing track of my, my trains of thought That's here. all right. We probably need to wrap we, up. We I do. Think. We do. Um, okay. So yeah, wrapping up. Any final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> so again, uh, if you haven't heard of Christus Victor, that is a, it's a view of the atonement that focuses specifically on the idea that Satan thought he had defeated Christ to the cross, only to find out later that he had been completely disarmed that uh, his claims against us had been broken, uh, the law had come to an end. And then when you combine the resurrection with that, um, you have this complete reversal of the uh, the legal situation on which Christians live. And that's why we say that spiritual warfare is a legal thing primarily, because of what happened at the cross and the resurrection completely changed the legal landscape. And so we need to, as our part of our theology, understand what our legal rights are as we go into these battles. And when we understand our legal rights and we enforce those, you know, the demons, they, they know when they've been beat. I don't come into something like that knowing that I'm stronger than them, that I'm smarter than them, you know, that I'm even more powerful than them. I come into a conflict like that knowing that uh, I, this has already been legally decided. And as long as we can get them to deal with the permission, people to deal with the permission involved, then they have no legal right to be there. And, you know, that's the that's why we spend so much time talking about permission. But it's the authority is the right to represent power, and we represent the kingdom, the power of the kingdom of God. And I will sometimes pray at the end of something like this, God, now that I've made this command, would you please use your power to enforce it? And uh, he has never let me down. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's usually if you have a contract, you can't just tear it up. But we can tear this contract up because of what he did at the cross, because right. he did fulfill it. So, hallelujah. Yep, it's been canceled. Well, thank you all so much for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk International is a nonprofit organization, and we partner with people like you in order to do what we do. Some are on the trail with us as official trailblazers who commit to donating $25 or more per month. We invite you to consider becoming a trailblazer. You can do this very simply by visiting our website, deeperwalkinternational.org trailblazers. If you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week. Happy Holy Week.